0: Well, I trust that song was a source of encouragement for you, and for that matter, all of the songs and the scriptures that have been read, and God willing, uh, it is my prayer that this psalm that we're going to be looking at today will be an encouragement to you as well. I thought it fit and necessary to take a break from our exposition in the book of Ruth. Those of you who are first-time visitors, we do preach through books of the Bible, And we're focusing today on a very special topic and a special message on Psalm 91 entitled, The Saints' Security. So I'd like to begin by asking you a question. Where do you find your security? Where do you find your safety? What things is it that you put your confidence in to guide you through this life, to protect you? People are concerned about this. That's why we have car alarms and home alarms and various, all these various things, home defense mechanisms set up maybe in your home and and bank accounts and all these things people can put their trust in, local, federal, police and utility companies and all of those types of things, rather than putting our hope ultimately in God first, and then those other things may have their place. We're concerned about safety and you think of how the cars, the automobiles become more and more, quote, safe as the years go on. I mean when I grew up seat belts they didn't exist, <laughs> you know, and so now not only are there seat belts, there's child restraint laws. My wife told me the other day it's not six. They recommend that a child stays in a car seat till nine. Um, you know, so these, these kinds of things are always being regulated and added for our safety, right? Um, you go to pick up a prescription, it's going to have a cap on it where you can't just twist it right off, right? You've got to push down, squeeze, you know, do all this right stuff because it's a child-proof cap. Well, as we reflect on the 10-year anniversary of those terrible attacks that came upon U.S. soil, I submit to you that the United States of America had a false sense of security, we had become so proud in our economic empire and, and so forth that we never saw this coming, the threat of the terrorist attack on our own soil. And you know, it can be hard to understand sometimes. You think of even the hurricane. Irene, just a few weeks ago, you think of Hurricane Katrina, which there's still thousands of houses that have yet to be rebuilt after six years. You think of these. So-called tragedies, wildfires that rage through Southern California and destroy homes. Many of those homes have yet to be rebuilt. And when we, you know, we can ask the question, well, if God is so good, why does He allow those things? That's not the purpose of our message today. The purpose of our message today is where we can find hope and comfort in the midst of tragedy. Even our economic security is being threatened as we see... Inflation spiraling out of control and and the U.S. dollar buying less and less. And sometimes we don't see that within this country, but if you go to another country, you realize how the U.S. dollar has been weakened. We are all concerned for security, and rightfully so. But as we come today to this 10-year anniversary of the terrorists crashing jets into the World Trade Center, into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, and then into the Pentagon, we must pause for a moment and to consider what that scene was like. Those of us who are old enough, I know there's young children here. Um, some of ours were in diapers. They don't remember that. But those of us who were watching the newscasts, those scenes are forever etched into your mind. I don't think you'll ever forget them. I know I will never forget that. It's the most unfathomable thing in the world that here the Twin Towers in New York City on a bright, Beautiful day, bright blue skies. Suddenly, jetliners filled with passengers crash into these buildings. Who saw it coming? And, and even then, of course, the, the newscasts were well, perhaps they were cargo planes kidnapped, you know, the initial reports and all of that. It is amazing to think of even these twin towers and what they were made up of. 1,300 feet tall. 110 stories, 208 feet down each side. These were massive structures. It's hard for us to even fathom a building near that size. And of course, when they came crashing down sometime later, it was almost as though a kick in the gut happened to each one of us as we're watching on live television on CNN or Fox News or whatever your favorite variety of news is, and suddenly the first tower coming down. And 30 or 40 minutes later, I think it was, the second tower coming down. Everything, these buildings, these skyscrapers reduced to a pile of rubble and debris. Steel and concrete and fire and dust consuming the area. People running and screaming for their lives. These are scenes that are forever etched in our mind. And brethren, there's something very real that happened that day. There was eternal consequences for thousands of people that day. Some who were prepared for death. Some who were not prepared for death. They were not prepared to meet their Maker that day. The events of September eleventh, two 2001, no doubt are a result of the depravity of man. Men that would plot to kill thousands of people. That's a result of the depth of the depravity of man. Of course, the response is we want security. The government's not protecting us. The passing of the Patriot Act, which some criticize, some hail, whatever, you're, that's, I'm not here to talk about that, but homeland security's been implemented. Do you realize in the last 10 years we've spent $635 billion on homeland security? That is a huge price tag. We can't think about that. Oh, 600,000 millions. I mean, that's not that much money, is it? (laughs) Our deficit's more than that. I'm just telling you what the price tag is. Well, the answer is not trusting in the government, trusting in homeland security or some other type of security. The answer, brethren, is found in Psalm 91. Finding our hope and trust and protection from God Himself. It's a comfort that only comes to those who are the children of God. And it's a beautiful passage of Scripture. Even this past week, I was reminded again of how dependent we become on public utilities or on the government around us when the, this power outage happened. You know, a power outage happened, you expect, oh, they'll fix it in 20, 30, 40 minutes, right? Well, all of a sudden, when it was like, well, it could be days, or at least into the next day, people suddenly had a wake-up call. How dependent we are on these things That was unprecedented five million people without power and they say now the the grid may have some fractures to it that it could happen again it's amazing how dependent we've become we've become spoiled as americans you know we we want a quick response when our rights are violated if our home is broken into or our car is stolen how dare you you know and we want a quick response Well, today we'll be looking at where our best security can be found. And it's available to you today. So turn with me, if you haven't already, to Psalm 91. Psalm 91, follow along with me as I read. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day or of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side. Yes, ten thousand at your right side but it shall not approach you. And you will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For He will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will bear you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him and with long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Let's go before the Lord again. Our Father, we do ask that You would knit these words to our heart. Lord, that You would humble us today, even being reminded at how frail and fragile we are, how little control we have of our circumstances around us. Lord, that You would strengthen our faith and our hope and our courage as a result of looking into this psalm. Remove distractions, O God. Speak to each heart here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this psalm is a very comforting psalm. People turn to this psalm often in times of loneliness and discouragement and times of loss, of of refocusing, where is my hope? Where does it really lie? Luther said of this psalm, it is the most distinguished jewel among the psalms of consolation. Godly men have committed this psalm to memory of course, this is the psalm, the only verse that Satan quotes in the temptation of our Lord. There's one, a couple verses in here that he quotes. This psalm has been called God's 911 verse. Go here in case of emergency. Psalm 91 verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty see, we can read those words so quickly and not let them really sink in. What do they mean? Abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 46, John 14, good parallel text. This psalm is a psalm of protection. It was true of the psalmist when he wrote it. And if you take a messianic interpretation of the psalms as I do, it was true of Messiah when he was here. And it's true of you today if you are a child of God. Just a quick word about the author. We do not know who the author is. We can move on. Uh, Some speculate Psalm 90 being written by Moses, very likely, since there's references to Deuteronomy, that this psalm could actually be written by Moses too. fact of the matter is we do not know. The flow of the psalm breaks into three sections. Um, Some say there's three voices, and I didn't elaborate on those, but we will as we go through this. Follow the pronouns. Verse 1 is a statement of general truth. Verse 2, it's the eye of the psalmist. Verses 3-13, to 13, the main body of the psalm focuses to you individually. And then the last three verses is the eye of the first person. Divine eye, it is God speaking in the third person. I will set Him securely on high because He has known my name. And we'll look at those in turn uh, when we get there. So, today with God's help, um, I did not... I did not have time to make an outline as we normally have, but I'll just tell you, I'm breaking it up into three sections, and it's those three voices, verses 1 and 2. The saint's dwelling place. Verses 3 to 13, the saint's deliverance. The last three verses, the saint's delight. And the title of the message is The Saint's Security. So, first of all, the saint's dwelling place. The way to abide with the Almighty is to dwell with Almighty God. If you dwell with something, what is, somebody, what does that communicate? Closeness, right? There's a closeness that's involved there. It's a communing with them. And think of verse 1 really as an it's a, it's a, um, overarching summary verse of the whole psalm and all that would follow after that. We read in John 14, "...let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare dwelling places, literally, for you." When we think of the Most High, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, what do you think of? Well, you think of several things here, but it's a picture of the place. I think of the mercy seat inside the Holy of Holies. That's what comes to my mind. The Most High place where only the high priest entered once a year. Figuratively speaking, of course, here, the the Most High. But that is the idea. It's the place where Christ is. The one that is entered within the veil where He is at. And we perpetually have freedom to enter there as New Covenant Christians. These are spiritual blessings that are available to the children of God at any time, but especially in the midst of difficulty and trouble. The idea of lodging and dwelling with Him is packed full of meaning here. In the context, he who truly relies on God surely will have His protection. That protection which is available to each one. Think of the idea of the shadow of the Almighty, he will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Can you think of another shadow you 'd rather be in a redwood tree or a half dome or something else? No, I want to be in the shadow of the Almighty because that communicates that i 'm close to my father and think of it. You take your little son to the park it 's a new park you know you 're new to this town or whatever, and there 's other kids around there 's young adults around and everything. And the, the boy's a little you know timid, but goes and starts playing. Well, as long as he can see the shadow of his father, he feels security because he knows his father is nearby. He realizes that there is a closeness there. On well, verse 2, the psalmist declares his faith and trust in his covenant God. He says, I will say of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, this is a very fascinating verse here. And taken together with verse 1, there's really four metaphors to describe our security with God. Did you notice it when we were going through it? First is the shelter, right? Then you have this shadow, and then the refuge, and the fortress. All of these speaking of the protection that we have, speaking of the fortress. He's our defense. We can trust in him. A refuge, it's a place of safety. Shelter and shadow as well. Closeness and protection and safety. And then notice the four names of God that the psalmist uses. This is fascinating. Look at it. It's in each line. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. That is a term of reverence. It is El Yon in the original. It means the highest high, the most high. And it's a term that's used of God. The second one is Almighty at the end of verse 1. That's Shaddai, which communicates the idea that it is terrible majesty, which puts fear into the enemies of God, but gives comfort to those that are near. And so the second one is Shaddai. And then the Lord is Jehovah there. You see in capitals, L-O-R-D, beginning of verse 2. And then finally, my God, Elohim. And So four terms used to describe God right here at the beginning. And I love this last one. My God in whom I trust. That communicates something there. That's a term of possession. The psalmist is possessing his God. It is my God in whom I trust. I'm not speaking the third person that He is a God to be trusted if you'll look at Him. But this is my God, and I trust in Him. What a comfort that is. We've been studying Ruth. You remember when she makes that vow Naomi she says your people shall be my people and your God my God she took Yahweh as her own personal possession Thomas had to see we referred to Thomas in John 14 Thomas had to see his Lord and what did he say when he saw remember he says I will not believe unless I put my finger in the hole in his side I don't think he even had to touch when he saw that following Lord's Day in John chapter 20 and verse 28 he said my Lord and my God. Again, a term of possession, ascribing deity to Jesus Christ. What a comfort this is to know that this is your possession if you're a child of God in the midst of any trial or difficulty. So we've seen in the first place the saint's dwelling place. Let us consider now the saint's deliverance. And I'll just read verses 3 and 4 for us now. For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He covers you with his pinions. Under his wings you may seek refuge. His faith is a shield and a bulwark. So, first of all, your safety and your protection, brace yourself, does not come from your own strength. I don't care if you're a black belt, if you own an armory of guns and knives and traps and grenades and all of that, ultimately, your protection does not come from your own strength and your own preparation. It comes from your trust in a sovereign God. It comes from trusting in Him. He delivers you from the snare of the trapper. Now this is interesting language here. In the Old King James, some of you use, it's the fowler. It's the idea of someone who traps birds in particular. And so, some of you have heard it that way. And a fowler... Is one who lays bait to capture something, to entrap, to snare. The word snare is trap or uh, to entice or to attract. And isn't that what a trapper does? We've been trapping rats in our garage. I don't know how they got there the last couple days, but we set rat traps about this big. And guess what we use for bait? My wife's embarrassed now. Peanut butter. Because they love it, apparently, like the rest of us. And <laughs> they're so dumb, they're going to come and jump on the yellow thing, snap, you know, right here, it's got them. Um, but but I'm laying a snare for the rats that I don't want that are trespassing in my garage. And we've gotten two so far, praise the Lord, and maybe that's it. But that's the idea. This is what a, a, a trapper does. Uses the right bait to catch the right animal. Of course, what is the... What is our biggest arch enemy? It is Satan himself who is a trapper, him and his minions. We have an enemy that's seeking someone to devour. Paul talks about that God may grant the gift of repentance in Second Timothy two, and he says, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. You see the parallel there? Having been held by his captive, been held captive by him to do his will. Satan is tricky. He is crafty. He knows your weak spots. He's going to bring the temptation that's going to cause you to stumble or at least make you prone to stumble. He's got a lot more experience in trapping sinful men than you do living the Christian life. He's got about 6,000 years. What do you have? 2, 3, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, right? He's got a lot more experience. That's why as we studied at the end of Ephesians, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and world forces of wickedness. That's what our struggle is against. You see, if a trapper is seeking to trap birds, he's not going to use the exact same trap and bait as he he would for, say, a uh, duck as he would a red-tailed hawk. Right? There's going to be different types of bait used. Same thing with a wild turkey or whatever. He's not going to pull out a fishing rod with a hook to try to catch a bird, right? He knows better than that. He's wiser than that. And so too, Satan, the trapper who wants to entrap us, is wise. He knows where your weak spots are. Whether it's pride or envy, lust, gluttony. He adapts his temptation. He adapts the bait so that he might ensnare you. Thomas Brooks, one of the Puritans, is a wonderful book. Precious Remedies against Satan's devices. And he has a whole section there where he presents how Satan presents the bait to the Christian and then the way of overcoming that. Several things that he mentions. By presenting the bait and hiding the hook. Right There's the bait, but he hides the hook. The idea is to keep away from sin. Don't start playing with the bait because there's a hook in there. By painting sin with virtuous colors. By causing you to compare yourself to others. Well, you can always find somebody that's not doing quite as well as you, and so, boy, that makes me feel pretty good, right? And then to go on in our sin. Another way that he tempts you is by impressing upon you that repentance is easy. Go ahead and sin. Repent tomorrow. It's fine. No, you can harden your heart and be headlong. You see, it's been said that where the most beautiful cacti grow with the blooming flowers, the most venomous serpents are there at the root. and So we need to be careful. But it says in our text that he will deliver you. He will deliver you from the snare. Um, The ESV, um, or rather the King James and the says, surely he will deliver you. The NET version says certainly he will deliver you. Do you see the The confidence that is oozing forth from this verse. Yes, there's a trapper. Yes, there's snares. But surely He will deliver you if your hope and trust is in Him. To deliver means to snatch away or to rescue. And brethren, He delivers us not just from the difficulty, but out of the difficulty. And so we can have confidence in Him. He delivers His children when they cry out for help. He causes us even to have the faith, to to be strengthened in our faith, to cry out for help to Him. And He comes, as it says in Psalm 50, Call upon Me in the day of trouble, and I shall rescue you. And the rest of that verse goes on. And you shall honor Me. Giving glory to God as a result of that. You think of in God's wonderful wisdom and in His sovereignty of how He rules all things and how He preserves His children. A temptation may come tomorrow morning to you some way or another, whatever your weak spot is, in which if that came two years earlier, you maybe would have tripped headlong into that. But now because you have grown in grace, because your faith is a bit stronger, because you are dwelling under His rings and in His shadow, now that you now know to run from that as Joseph did when Potiphar's wife was throwing herself on him. Do you see how God in His sovereignty, as we draw near to Him, as we have fellowship with Him, as we're under the shadow of His wings, He will deliver us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation will come to you except for that which is common to man, but God is faithful Will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. I hope you cling to verses like that in the face of temptation. You know, that you don't just roll over on your back and go, oh well, why why resist sin? No. He will provide a way of escape. And he will deliver you, both in time, as we've been talking about, in time while you're living here, but ultimately where? In eternity, right? He will deliver us. He will rescue us. He will save us. He will take us to be with Him forever. The very character of God ensures this. He loses none of His own, Jesus said in John 6. No one shall snatch them out of My hand. Our eternal destiny is secure as the children of God. We know we will see our Savior face to face. We know that we will enjoy all of the bliss of heaven. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. Not tainted by sin anymore. I hope you long for that day, that ultimate deliverance when we will be before Him. None of the elect of God are lost. His Word can be trusted. But the sad reality is sometimes we do stumble into sin, right? I'm not here to say that you can constantly always resist every single sin that comes your way. Sometimes we do stumble into sin. And we know that we serve a merciful God that if we have true repentance, He will forgive us. You and I, indeed, have sometimes been ensnared. But He delivers us out of our trouble. This is beautifully illustrated in Pilgrim's Progress. As Christian and hopeful are going along the way, the the road becomes hard on their feet and they see flowing grass next to them. Why should we walk on this hard gravel when there's this comforting grass that's almost just going to give spring to our step right over the fence. Of course, you know where that leads them. to doubting castle and giant despair. But God in His mercy even then provides after days of mistreatment, suddenly the key of promise where they remember the promises of God and they're able to get out and to come back to the way. A little bit later in that same allegory, they're ensnared by the flatterer and that term is actually used Because he promised it a new way, right? He had a white sheet over him. The sheet comes off. He's shown to be black and a deceptive person. And then there again, God in his mercy sends an angel, a shining one, to set them back on their way. Think in your own life, time and time again, when you've gone astray, when you've stumbled, you've done things that you'd be ashamed of if it was announced from the front up here, but that He brings you back in His mercy and in His kindness and restores you and strengthens your faith through it all. Let us be reminded of God's faithfulness manifested through His providence which is perfect so that we would give Him the praise and honor that is due His name. He goes on in verse 3 that He will deliver you from deadly pestilence. Well, that's something we're not Fighting a whole lot around here, right? We live in the 21st century in America and so forth. But times have not always been like this. And we're, we're, not at, uh, we're not absolved from this. Pestilence you might think of as a plague. Read verse 10 as well. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near you. Charles Spurgeon tells a story of when he first got to London. He was approximately 20 years old. He'd been in full-time ministry for 12 months. Asiatic cholera hit, and families, people were dying all around him. He's visiting families nonstop, nonstop, attending funerals, conducting funerals, and so forth. And finally, the weight of it became so heavy on him. He says this, I became weary in body and sick of heart, my friends were falling one by one and I felt like I was getting sick like those around me. This burden was heavier than I could bear. I was ready to sink under it. As I was returning home from a funeral, my curiosity led me to read a paper which was up on a shoemaker's window written in bold writing. Psalm 91, verses 9 and 10. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent goes on to say, the effect on my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, girt with immortality. I went on in my visitation in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil and I suffered no harm. So man, they continued on in the midst, finding encouragement from this in the midst of that. The Lord can protect His own. I can just tell you even myself and my limited experience, visiting people who are sick, knowing that things are contagious and all of that, and going on in visits and just trusting. The Lord is sovereign. He wants me here to bring a word of encouragement from the Scriptures, and I trust Him that He's going to protect. Even years of doing nursing home ministries and that kind of thing, if you want to catch something, go to a nursing home because it's pretty bad, right? And by God's grace, always preserved well he says in verse 4 moving on quickly he covers you with his protection beautiful imagery here he will cover you with his pinions under his wings you may seek refuge his faithfulness is a shield and bulwark such loving condensation we see here where God likens himself to a female bird stretching her wings out with her young nestled underneath for protection Do you see that beautiful picture there? Those who trust the Lord in His perfect providence are like little chicks that find protection under their mother's wings. I don't know if you remember, but in Ruth 2, as as Boaz pronounces that prayer of Ruth after she's asked to glean, and and he has this prayer at the end. He says, uh, speaking of God, may God bless you and so forth, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. The same terminology used then. Deuteronomy 32 in the Song of Moses, that terminology is used there as well. And of course, our Lord, in Matthew 23, when he sits, stands over Jerusalem, and, and he says, "Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets?" He goes on, he says, "How often I wanted to gather your chickens together, your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under his wings, but you were un." Willing. What a terrible indictment. The Son of God coming incarnating, coming in flesh, coming to rescue the souls of men and coming to the very chosen people of God at that time, Israel, which was the type of the church, coming and, and, and saying and then they were unwilling. How I wanted to gather you. The best place of safety is being near our God. And in this imagery, being nestled up under His wings, being close to Him for protection, having a vital relationship with Him, a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, because we've been justified by faith, we are now unified with Christ. A commitment to God that affects all of life, not just your Sunday morning performance, but all of your thoughts and your attitudes and your biblical worldview and your character. You young people that are here today, listen to my voice. This psalm is one of comfort. It is one of truth. As the Lord is set forth as your only hope and refuge, and this is the place where you need to go and to find safety. Believe me, you think times are tough now. Things will get tougher. (laughs) Some of you preteens and teens that feel like life is so heavy on you, this is a psalm to get you through the hardest things that you'll ever endure in this life. Knit this psalm to your heart. His faithfulness and truth is a protection, the, the bulwark, a shield and a bulwark. Again, just more symbols of protection. Well, verses five to 13, I'm not going to reread them for the sake of time, but we see here that in verse five, "You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that starts the darkness, or the destruction that lays waste at noon. Again, the pestilence idea, the plagues. Think of the plagues that have have hit mankind just in the last few hundred years. Can you think of some? There's some that occurred just a few hundred years after Christ. There's a black plague um, in the 14th century that killed one-third of Europe. The Great Plague of London, which was killing 2,000 people a week at its peak, which ironically was ended by what? The Great Fire of London in 1665. Bubonic Plague, other plagues, and so forth. And so there is plague, there is pestilence around us. But all of this pestilence and death, and all this that we're talking about, what is the worst type of pestilence that we've all been infected with? It is sin. It is sin. If you are here as a child of Adam, and each of you are, you have disease and it's called sin. It is a pestilence in which no son of Adam has ever escaped. It is pervasive and it affects every single soul that has lived on this earth. And if you're offended by that, I'm sorry. I'm merely representing the Word of God where it plainly states, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our hearts are depraved by nature. We know not how to choose good. Our propensity is to evil, and that's why we need salvation so much, so that we can be transformed and receive a new heart. There's only one that's been spared from this disease. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It is He who is sinless and Him alone. Is he who is to be trusted in? And then verses nine and, or uh, rather eleven to thirteen, he will give his angels charge concerning you. Familiar verse; you probably recall that from the temptation of our Lord. We're not going to turn there for the sake of time. But even the devil, as he would quote this in trying to tempt Jesus, right? He misquotes it. And I think there's a bit of an irony here too—almost God's mockery of the devil that he quotes verses 11 and 12, but look at verse 13. He stops right before this verse. And you will tread upon the lion and the cobra, and the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Calvin says that's the idea, to walk all over. Is that what Jesus did? (laughs) Here at the beginning of his earthly ministry, the devil's quoting of a verse that the very next verse is the verse that would be fulfilled on the cross when Christ trampled down Satan. Satan. So we've considered the saints' dwelling place, the saints' deliverance. And now lastly, brethren, verses 14-16, to the saints' delight. Here we have promises of God. I hope you cherish the promises. Promises of God by God Himself to all the faithful. This is a glorious, confirming oracle of God Himself. Notice it changes from the you As we've seen, the second person from verses 3-13, to back to the first person. But here, it is God speaking. Because He has loved me, I will deliver Him. I will set Him securely on high because He has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer Him. And I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him. And with a long life, I will satisfy Him and let Him see my salvation. Three general themes here. One in verse 14, one in 15, one in verse 16. First, a continued theme of protection. Protection from the one who is in danger. The theme of security continues. I will set him securely on high. Remember, we've been talking about security. Here's the security. Yahweh Himself will set you securely on high. A beautiful picture here. Delivered again. Again. Not because of our good works, but because of His great mercy. And because, it says here, because we love Him. An appropriate response to such mercy. Verse 15, it's an answer to those who call out in trouble. Notice he says, I will answer Him who calls out and calls upon Me. Glorious promise. And finally, with long life and salvation to those who trust in the Lord, Satisfied with Him. So two main thoughts here to sum it up in these last three verses. And the first is, what God will do to the individual. Okay, What God will do. Second is, why He will do it. The what God will do, we just read. It's the six I wills that are there. That's what God will do. Why does He do it here? Well, He says very clearly here, because He has loved me, because He has known my name, because He calls upon me, and because He knows, and He knows because He loves. And so, very clear picture here of the Lord responding to the faithfulness of the children of God, or even the nation in this original setting here, that He will deliver. And then finally, I want to ask you from verse 16, are you satisfied with God today? Do you find your satisfaction in Him and in Him alone? Let me read it again. With long life, I will satisfy Him and let Him see my salvation. Again, here, there's present fulfillment, right? Seeing His salvation is evident in your life, seeing the lives of others being transformed around you. So certainly in the present, but also the eternal fulfillment. Do you see that here? These promises are for those who will trust the Lord. In verse 16, it's an unfortunate translation in the NAS. It says, let, and let him see my salvation. Literally, is, is, cause him to feast his eyes on my salvation. You see how that just rings something quite different? It's something as though you, it's something you set your eyes on, that you don't want to turn aside to look at anything else. You're feasting your eyes on his salvation. It's more than just long life in this life. It's eternal life with our Lord forever. Being filled with all the fullness of God. Having a frame of mind that even now is consumed with the mercy and grace of God in seeing the sufficiency that is in Christ to be a suitable Savior. Well, as we close, just a couple of thoughts for us to take away from this psalm. I encourage you, drink deeply, from Psalm 91. Drink deeply from all the Scripture, but this particular psalm, in times of trouble, in times of discouragement, in times of questioned security, come here and drink deeply. Have you experienced the safety and security that God promises His people here in this psalm? Have you personally experienced it? Are you living a life that's lacking peace? that's filled with turmoil, that's filled with conflict, that's just causing you to not focus on Him. Again, as we think about this 10-year anniversary of that horrific attack in which thousands lost their lives, what is our response? Is it escapism? Is it, hey, let's we're going to all move to Montana and such and such little town or whatever, you know, and go and And that kind of thing, to escape because we don't want to live in the city. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with moving to another state. (laughs) But the idea of if that's the reason, it's just not safe, we have to get out of here and that kind of thing, that's wrong. No, our confidence needs to come in trusting a sovereign God that is ruling all of the events in world history His story for His glory. That's where our confidence needs to come from. The ultimate security that we have promised here is that that He is our refuge. He is our fortress. Yeah, it's not a literal 10-foot wall around your property at your home, but He is a fortress that's much better than a 10-foot wall. And then to have that personal possession, my God, in whom I trust. He's already shown Himself to be faithful in sending His own Son to die and to purchase the salvation of every one of his people. He's shown himself faithful. Will he stop now? Will he not continue to be faithful? How oh, we need to thank God for his deliverance, ultimately from the pestilence of sin, but from other dangers around us as well. Praise God for your heavenly hope and that ultimate deliverance when we'll be with him face to face. I hope you long for that. Secondly, This psalm should strengthen you and encourage you to give you courage in the face of calamity. His sovereign rule in your life is the only place of security that you have. He is our security, a refuge and a fortress. There's no greater security in the world. No matter if there's a nationwide power outage, which would really be crippling to this nation, Uh, another terrorist attack of some form, devastating wildfires as we come into that season. Whatever comes, we know that we can trust Him. And we know that we can have courage knowing that He is with us. Courage to act. Maybe you're familiar with the circumstances on Flight 93, the fourth plane that was probably headed for the White House or the Capitol, we don't know for sure. But isn't it a marvelous story of courage, of how those on board, the men on board in particular, taking the leadership, others being supportive, to take that plane down. As there was four terrorists on board that hijacked that plane and as they had some contact and they already knew about the, the Twin Towers being, with the jets flying into them and then when the Pentagon happened and they, they heard that because they were able to use their cell phones because they were flying at such a low altitude, suddenly the men began to collaborate and say, we need to act. And they acted, and they took that plane down. They gave their lives, they had courage and faith, many of them Christians, but they gave their lives to spare countless of other lives. Perhaps thousands, many more thousands. That's the kind of courage and strength we should receive in the face of danger, in the face of calamity, because we know our God is with us. There's so many military people here as well. So many in different armed forces. That's a wonderful thing. I think every armed force, except for the Air Force, is represented in our church out of the eight or nine or whatever. But sometimes these men go into dangerous situations. And if you're a Christian, this is a psalm that should be near and dear to your heart. We have a mosque 100 yards from us on this 10-year anniversary. We know that extreme, extremist Muslims orchestrated and implemented that attack on U.S. soil. Let me just challenge you for a minute. It's real easy to think they're our enemies, have nothing to do with them. I'd like to challenge that. They may be our enemies, but we don't know for sure. They are our mission field. And you should look for opportunities to witness and to point them. They're badly deceived and to point them to Christ, just like you would any other cult. And finally, today, some of you are here that are not Christians. Again, I go back to that day when thousands entered eternity in the span of a very short amount of time. Some of them were not ready to stand before God. What will it take to make you ready? What will it take to awaken you from your slumber to consider that someday I will stand before a holy God my life could end in an instant and I will be standing before Him and if I'm not covered with the blood of Christ, having trusted in Him, I will be sent to hell and not a temporary time out, but an eternity in hell. How that, should, and how that could cause you to consider where you're going. What a rude awakening so many had. Oh, how I pray that you would see Christ as sufficient. That you would... Cry out and say, yes, I want to be delivered. I need a deliverer and see Jesus as the one that can deliver you. To trust in Him, repent of your sin, you will be white as snow, no longer defiled, but having been cleansed by the blood of Christ and having the protection that is promised in this psalm. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for this psalm. Thank You for the encouragement that is here, Lord. We confess that each of us here oftentimes lack the courage and faith that we desire lord we could be called little faith those who are weak and frail oftentimes lord i thank you that in your mercy you've reminded us of this wonderful security that we have in christ we pray lord that you would help us to find our refuge our fortress our strength in you to the end that we will someday see you face to face feasting our eyes on your salvation. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.